The long stretches of Flemington and the glory of two Melbourne Cup wins are light years away from the scene at Kempsey's Warwick Park Racecourse in 1991 when a tiny apprentice called Corey Brown made his riding debut. Halfway down the straight, his mount stumbled and fell, giving Corey a bone-jarring fall and a huge blow to his dignity. Young Brown dusted himself off, swallowed his pride and actually rode again later in the day. Only weeks later on the same track, a horse called Another Square gave Corey his first win. 27 years on and getting close to 3,000 winners, Corey Brown is firmly entrenched among Australia's best jockeys. He's had a massive week, but very graciously agreed to join us on the podcast. Appreciate your time, Corey. That's my pleasure, John. Corey, life's very different to the days when top jockeys rode only once a week. In George Moore's case, it was once a week. Others maybe two. Yeah, it's, um, it's done, a, it's done a, a, a big circle, John. It's um race game since I've been in. It's changed a hell of a lot. Um, yeah, as you, as you stated, like, when I first arrived into Sydney, um, you know, the likes of Shane Dye and Jimmy Cassidy and those type of jockeys, they would only ride on a Wednesday and a Saturday. Uh, you know, occasionally they'd be heading to the to the provincial tracks on a Thursday, but highly unlikely. But uh, this day and age, John, if you if you if you don't go, uh, there's some little young whippersnapper that's happy to <laughs> happy to go and replace you, and it's 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 hard to get back on them. So yeah, it, it's changed a lot, and we we ride, we ride a lot more. From last Saturday week, June 30th, until Saturday just gone, July 7, throwing in the Warwick Farm barrier trials as well, you had 42 rides for a wide uh, array of trainers. I suppose it's hard to say no, Corey. Well, yeah, it's very hard to say no, John, because like I said, there's some young, keen, eager kid um, that's um, more than happy to replace you. You know, like the, the loyalty, it, it sounds really rude, but the loyalty in the games, it's not there like it used to be years ago. You know, you do have your your um, your loyal owners and stuff, but it's 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 a dog eat dog game, and if you've got to go, you've got to be there. You've got to be, you know, it's very much like out of sight, out of mind. So, yeah, no, you you just got to keep turning up, John. The week turned out okay, though. You rode two winners at Hawkesbury and a treble at Randwick on Saturday. Halaku, Ombudsman and Just Shine. The two-year-old won very easily, Corey. He looks like he's got a bit of scope. Halaku. He has. Uh, he's, he's a nice little horse. He's, he's quite immature, especially for a, a two-year-old this time of year, John. He's, hmm. he's, um, he's a bit light frame and he's a bit, bit weak mentally, but look, he, he put him to the sword quite easily, Um there on Saturday, and I think he's got a very bright future. But I, I, I don't think you'll see the best of him until he's a sort of mm. a late three-year-old once he furnishes up a little bit more. But um, you know, the Peter and Paul Snowden team—they're they're going really good, and they—they they give me a little bit of a rap for him before I went out. So it wasn't surprisingly uh, to see the way that he won. Now the big horse you rode, Just Shine, he seemed to uh, get off the bit and flounder coming around the turn, and then he took off again yeah. in the straight. Yeah, he. Um, uh, I tried this horse up here a couple of weeks ago, and he tried extremely well. Um, and he, he travelled really kindly in the run. He drew one, which probably wasn't ideal on that track there yesterday, because we we started to get out off the fence 
quite noticeably in the latter part of the day. And the, the, where we really rip into the track, John, at about the 600-metre mark when everyone started to accelerate, um, mm. the track had chopped out quite badly. And when he hit that patch, um, the wheels started to spin. So I, I had to give him a, a quick rev up because I, I started to worry, thinking that he, he, he was struggling. But um, when I give him the rev up and he come back up underneath me quite quickly and mm. once we got into the straight and he got on better going, um, he showed his showed his true colours once, oh, he, once yeah. he balanced up. He really hit the line, didn't he? The love of horse, um, Claire's doing a great job. You know, she's a, obviously a young lady. It's just taken up the, the training sort of training um, range, and it's got a great great partner with her, Jason Collard. He knows horses back to front, so they're a good little team, and they're going great. And it's good to see. You've won a total of forty nine Group Ones. Uh, most of them, in fact, 49 in Australia and another two in Singapore. Now, we can't talk about them all, but let's look at a few of your favourites now. Shocking. Your first Melbourne Cup win in 2009. You rode him twice before that Cup. You ran second in the Kunji, second in the Herbert Power, and then Michael Rod won the Lexus on him on Derby Day. And what happened to Michael? It's a bit weird, John, how it went down because... I was actually, I'd been booked for the horse um, sort of a, a couple of months before, knowing the horse was going to the cup and he was only going to get a very, very lightweight. So Mark Kavanagh had contacted me and, like you said, I'd ridden him, I'd partnered him leading into the cup. Mm. And it, I, I run I run third in the Caulfield Cup on a horse of Danny O'Brien's um, vigour. Yeah. And my manager... Uh, you know, jumped obviously because it's a great lead-up race, the Cornfield Cup into the Melbourne Cup. So he jumped on bigger and confirmed me as the rider as bigger. But he was way down in the the order of entry, John. And knowing damn well that he wasn't going to get in, I I done. I went to Mark Cavanagh and said, "Look, could I could you please not book a jockey until the Saturday night?" And mm. he goes, he, he knew that my horse wasn't going to get in, but I couldn't go out there and say I'm jumping off bigger um, to get on. Shock, shocking, shocking so, yeah. Yeah, so he was kind enough to wait. He got, got the connections to, to wait for the Saturday night once the final field had come out, and that's how I ended up on the horse. But I was actually for the horse a long time out, but he did tell me that he was going to put Michael Rod on uh, in place of me because Michael was doing all the riding for him. He said, I can't have you on him on Saturday. Mm. Um, he said, I'm going to put Michael Rod on on the Saturday. He said he's just, you know, obviously going around, um, keeping ticking over. But uh, I think... If anything, John, it was quite strange how it happened because he used to always tell me to ride shocking. He wanted the horse out at the seven or 800 and he wanted him running, you know. He said he's got no turn of foot. He's a, he's a one-paced horse. So mm. he obviously um, was making me ride him like that. And I think by default, when Michael Rod got on him at Flemington on the Saturday, Michael Rod held him up in behind the leaders and um, was just going to have one little crack at him through the line. And I, he just exploded. So I, I think... I, well, I, my right mind, I don't think Mark knew how capable he was of um, accelerating. Held up, yeah. He held up a little bit. So mm. they, by default, they found the, the proper way to ride him. So uh, it, it all worked out well. Now, in that Melbourne Cup, core, you were three wide all the way. You could do nothing about it. And I imagine uh, the, the thoughts running through your mind mid-race would have been, I'm going to get cooked after this. I'm going to get oh, rushed. I could feel Mark Mark's hands <laughs> around me straight before I even got around to the 1800 metre mark. No, um, he, he'd do awkward 
and he um, he didn't get a good run in the race. Obviously, I was the only horse that was too wide. But that year, John, it was the race was run extremely slow, um, and all horses. I remember going down the back down the back straight towards the the fourteen hundred, and everyone was yelling, and the horses were clipping heels, and it was very uncomfortable, sort of being in amongst all the horses. And luckily enough, they were going slow enough for my horse to be able to sit three wide and get into a good rhythm and get him breathing properly. And yeah, look, I mean, it wasn't ideal, but in the, in, in the perfect world, but it was actually ideal for the way the race is being run because they were just, everyone was knocking each other over and it was just, it was run at a stupid pace. So I was lucky enough, yeah, to, um, to cover a bit of extra ground, but in doing that, I was, I was comfortable doing it. Cool. Many will have forgotten that shocking is by street cry. The sire of yep. Winks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he's he, he is a lovely horse. I ended up winning the Australian Cup on him as well. So um, mm. he's a great horse to me. But I think that year that I won it, John, it was a, uh, how, how to say, not bittersweet, but it was just because the year before on Bower, running a close second or the closest second ever, um, mm. you know, having to watch that replay for 12 months <laughs> and not knowing will I get another decent crack at the Cup, you know, like it's – yeah. It's obviously it's hard even just getting a roll in it in the race and to come out the very next year after going in a really close second to win it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was just a, a, uh, it was a you know we always say it's a dream come true, but it was a it was a, it was a nightmare that was overturned and yeah, basically you had to win it the very next year, but it was great. Viewed trained by Bart was the horse that beat Bauer in that very very close finish. I mean, it was literally a thumbnail, wasn't it? Yeah, it was close, and it, again, to, to have to watch it for 12 months until the next Cups run, <laughs> uh, it kept getting closer and closer, and it was really it was really strange because my my little horse, Bauer, he's so small compared to Viewed mm. that the, where the saddlecloth chip for the timing yeah. uh, sits on the horses, <clears throat> my chip actually beat Viewed home, so I run a faster time and still run second in the cup. so <laughs> the stories around it is quite, quite funny. Too much information. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, last year's Cup win on rekindling will remain one of your all-time favourite memories. Your three daughters and wife, Kylie, were all at Flemington. First time the girls had been to the Melbourne Cup, which added to uh, the enormity of the day emotionally for jockey Corey uh, Brown. John, you couldn't have scripted it any better. You know, um, Kylie had booked the tickets and, you know, accommodation and stuff for the girls to go down to the cup. And I'm talking, I reckon, four months before, and I even said to Kyle, I said, I'm going to be very embarrassed if I don't even get a ride in the race because I said, I'm, you know, I'm just returned from Singapore. And, you know, I said, I'm not sure I even have a ride in the race. And it just couldn't be scripted any better. It was like she already knew how it was going to turn out and just it worked out perfect to have them and, um, you know, obviously Kylie down there in the enclosure and enjoying the the moment I, I actually got more out of the cup this year or last year sorry with mm. the girls being there than what I actually get out of it myself I just to see them um yeah enjoy it was uh, it was light riding yeah it was it was quite amazing to see their their emotions and stuff like that it was great these UK trainers Corey continue to amaze their Australian counterparts rekindling was having only his 10th start in a race his earnings are now 4.1 million, by the way. 
He hadn't raced for seven weeks. His previous run was the famous St Ledger at Doncaster yep. in England when he ran fourth. Uh, you just can't well, – Bart Cummings could never believe that these European mm. horses could win Melbourne Cups on such a scant preparation. It's, it is amazing, John. You know, I've had, the, I've had the pleasure of going over there and writing a little bit of work, and I um, went to France for six weeks, and they, they're, they're training like they long, um, steady work, and it's, it's just amazing how they can get them there. Like it's, it isn't to, to float them over, and he was only a, he was only like a three-year-old in doing it. Um, but it is a, it's a big feather in their cap. They are amazing trainers. How they can hold the horses up for so long and only give them one or two race starts each preparation is just, it is, it's an absolute, it's a credit to them. You know, we have seen in recent years, though, uh, some of the visiting horses are starting to have a preparatory run in Melbourne, aren't they, before the Cup Carnival? Correct, they do. They um, And, yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I like to seem like it was very hard for me to get on rekindling. Like, I, I got the ride probably four weeks before the Cup, five weeks before the Cup, but, and not being able to get on him or have a go on him or anything. Mm. It's just the Australian way. Like, you like to have a bit of a feel or, you know, like just to get him used to a track or something like that. But mm. um, they've got the uncanny that They can come over here. Like Joseph O'Brien, it was a huge effort to get him over here. Um, I didn't get to sit on the horse until, like, obviously seven minutes before the race. So I didn't have a lot of time to bomb with him. But, yeah, like, what what they can do with horses, and uh, it is, it's pretty amazing. Corey, Joseph O'Brien uh, is an enigma. I mean, to stand beside the bloke, he is six feet tall. How did he? Oh, how did he mate. ride an English Derby winner? I, I totally agree, John. For how long had he done it? Um, <laughs> you know, like he, he obviously must have been so dedicated. He's like the Stephen Arnold of uh, Irish racing. He's mm. he's quite amazing. Like I, I, I'd never met him as a rider. Yeah. And um, to stand beside him, like I'm not the shortest of jockeys. Um, I'm not the tallest neither, but mm. he's he stood he stood a good two foot in higher than me. So mm. it, it was a credit to him, you know, to hold his weight where he did for so long. And he's away and running, of course, as a trainer. He won the Irish Derby only last week. Yeah, he's got some good bloodlines, though, hasn't he? John, oh. like his father, the Coolmore hey, blood. Quite, yeah, it's it's quite amazing those guys. Like I know they've got the horse flesh to do it, but. You know, he, he's gone out on his own, and he's he's training unbelievably well. And you know, I think he's a, I think his dad's got something to um to look out for. He's he's um mm. snapping at his heels. Correct, correct. He's uh, yeah. he'll be right up there with him in a few years to come. Like he's doing very well. So I'm really happy for him. Now, just before we leave the Melbourne Cup, you've had nine rides in the Great Race. Two wins, uh, shocking and rekindling. You're dead-heated for third a few years ago on a grey mare called Lahar. That was Rogan yep. Josh's year. You ran second yep. on Mr Prudence. You ran third on the German horse, Lucas Kranich. Uh, yep. Bauer, we've talked about, beaten a lip by Viewed. But there was one other one I shouldn't even bring up. 2001, you rode a mare called Hill of Grace, and about yeah. 600 metres out, Corey Brown went base over apex. Yeah, so I've pretty much done it all in the cup. I've um, obviously won it a couple of times, a couple of close seconds. And uh, one of the years that I run second, I, I couldn't have been happy to run second. It was the year of media puzzle with uh, Damien Oliver. So um, knew his brother 
extremely well, Jason. And, um, yeah, so if I was ever happy to run second in a race, it was that year. That's become one of the most poignant moments in Australian sport, uh, Damien going past the post, looking at the heavens. Uh, the moment you said it still gives me shivers down my spine. I still, yeah, it was, it was just a, a meant-to-be moment. And, yeah, um, again, I was, I, was, it's, I was more than happy to run second that year. Now, that fall you had uh, in 2001, Hill of Grace, no damage to horse or rider? Uh, I busted a muscle in my arm. It trod on my arm or something trod on my arm. I uh, needed a few stitches in my um, in my bicep and it sort of tore, tore the muscle in my bicep. But other than that, got a couple of weeks off and um, a bruised bruised ego. <laughs> nothing, was, um, <laughs> yeah. nothing, was, nothing was too much trouble. Yeah, it was all right. Corey, you've always said your most thrilling race day was Epsom Day 2003. There were three Group 1s, you won them all, and you even had the audacity to win a Group 2 to make it four wins of the day. That horse was called Xana. You won the Epsom yeah. on Clangalang, the flight stakes on Unearthly, the ill-fated Unearthly, and the spring champion stakes on Niello. What a day. Yeah, it was. It was an amazing day, Um and again, I went to the races. I thought I could win the spring champion um, on the yellow. And uh, I, I, I come out and won on Unearthly first, and she was she was a great little racehorse herself. And then to come out and win on the yellow was uh, I just I was really happy with the day. You know, like I, I would have been happy with that. But then um, I come out to ride for Gerald Ryan on Clangalang, and the owner Damien Flower. He was quite upset when I walked out. He um, he couldn't, you know, like he couldn't. He, he wasn't happy because he, he was a punter, and he, he was he was wanting to have a bet on Clangalang, and he just thought because I'd already ridden the two Group Ones that, you know, like it couldn't be. I couldn't ride the third one, and I just happened <laughs> to say to him, well, the, the first, I said Clangalang doesn't know that I've already ridden two Group Ones, mate. I said I'm, I'm on fire. I'm, I'm riding well. So <laughs> it was just amazing because he, he was never ever sighted in the race. He was he was sort of back worse in midfield. And, he wasn't really even sighted, John, until about the hundred metre mark, and he, he got a split and he shot through. And yeah, it was um, that was one of my most memorable days on race course. It was, it was very, very exciting. Well, here's one of your all-time favourites. You enjoyed a wonderful journey with a big, baldy-faced sprinter called Apache Cat. All up, he won eight Group Ones. You were on board for five of them. Your five were the Lightning, the Australia Stakes, the TJ Smith, the BTC Cup, and a Doombin Ten Thousand. And didn't the fans love him? Oh, they loved him, and it was amazing, John. Like that horse. My first five rides on him um, were Group One, Group One at Group One level. So it was quite, quite an amazing run. But I, I got on the horse by default. Michael Rod. Um, he took sick, I think it was like on a Monday or a Tuesday when I, I just moved down to Melbourne for Lee Friedman and I got a phone call off uh, Greg Ural, which I'd never had a ride for. And mm. um, they said, oh, Michael Rodder's taken sick, so could you partner Apache Cat in the Lightning? And I said, mm. I'd love to because obviously we all knew him because of his flashy markings, his white head and the four white socks to his knees. Mm. He was something to look at. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to get on him by default and, had a great association with him. He was an exciting horse, and again, he, he knew he knew the crowd. You know what I mean? Like were there to see him, and he, he just he, the the feel of him underneath you when you're walking out through the roses or wherever you're going. He's just 
he was an absolute show pony. He he knew that the crowd were there for him, and he, he loved it. Corey, you've written extensively overseas, but there was one stint in Hong Kong which ended abruptly in 2005. A race day urine sample indicated that there were traces of a recreational drug in your system. The Hong Kong Jockey Club came down very heavily, as they do, and you got six months and came back to Australia with the tail between the legs. Yeah, it was one of the darker moments of my career, John. It's something that I wish that I could erase out of it, but um, I can't do that. And look, it's, I was young. I was obviously very silly, but um, yeah, it was just a shame that, you know, like it, it, more so for my family and obviously family, friends, stuff like that, like the kids going to school. And so it was, it was hard. It was a hard, hard six months. Um, but uh, again, I, I learned from it. Uh, I grew up. And I've rose above it, so to speak. I've, I've, I've mm. worked hard and to get where I am. But yeah, no, it's a it's a blemish on my my CV. But um, again, I I was young, um, a bit silly, and yeah, I wished it wasn't there, but it is. But we just got to keep keep pushing on. I say. Oh, I think you handled it very, very professionally, and that that kind of professionalism is evident in everything you do. Uh, you're now forty two years of age and the, the complete professional. Well, when you got back to Australia, Corey, you needed a lift, and you got one per medium of a surprise phone call from Lee Friedman, offering you a yeah. stable retainer at that beautiful complex he's got on the Mornington Peninsula. You were there, what, 18 months? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time down there, and I do. I, I thank Lee a lot. I did when I was down there. Um, I thought it was going to be a long, hard road getting back to back to the top, you know, uh, group one level. And Lee was kind enough. He'd actually offered me the spot at his stable before I'd gone to Hong Kong. So after the, the drama that I had, I didn't think that I'd be getting the phone call. And surprisingly enough, it was only a couple of weeks after I got home, Lee rang me and asked me, would I like to come down and um, take the job once I start riding again? And so obviously I grabbed it with both hands and uh, took off to Melbourne which I I really, really enjoyed my time down there. I love the jockey's room down there. It's full of, um, you know, a great bunch of bikes. Uh, I had a lot of luck for Lee. I think I rode 100 winners for him mm. uh, over the 18 months that I was there. Um, so I rode a lot for him, but um, I'm not afraid to say it. Lee can be hard to, to understand sometimes and work <laughs> out, but um, we, um, we, we had our differences and, yeah, we separated. But it wouldn't have been, I reckon, two months after Lee and I had, um, part of ways he, he put me on a group one winner I think I won the Metropolitan for him in Sydney mm. so uh, I finally got the group one out of him but look it, it, that was really really good it was a different chapter of our of our um, of our lives Kyle and I and I really enjoyed the uh, Mornington Peninsula it was a great place down there and, um, yeah again it was it was a good it was a good time you came from a family of jockeys your grandfather Trevor rode successfully as an amateur and your dad, Jack, rode a lot of winners around the Northern Rivers and a few in town. He's still going strongly core, living on the Gold Coast and keeping himself busy. Yeah, no, dad's uh, he's going strong. He now installs kitchens and cuts granite bench tops and whatnot. But no, he's, he's going good. He's, he's, um, I, I think it was different back in those days, John, as a country jockey. Like My father always held like a second job, rode on the weekends and... Um, Rush down to Newcastle and places like that if um, if you had a horse that was good enough. But but yeah, no, um, 
I think he's um, enjoyed watching my career and sort of um, get, I think he's got a lot out of what I've done. So, I, I yeah, it's been good. Your hometown is Wingham near Taree on the mid-north coast of New South Wales and you're going to be honoured there sometime in the future. There's a suggestion that there's going to be a Corey Brown Avenue or a Corey Brown Street uh, dedicated to you. It's a very humbling thing. Yeah, no, it is, John. Um, uh, look, I've been home several times. Um, obviously, I, I like to get home to the Hometown Cup and things like that when I can. They've recently named, um, on Wingham Cup Day, they've named it the Corey Brown Cup, so that was a real honour. Um, and, yeah, the, the council chambers are in discussions now. It's, I'm not sure whether it's going to be a, a statue or um, a street named after me or something like that. They're all they're talking about it as we speak. So I'm yeah. not sure, but I'm very, very honoured. It's been great. Um, and I've appreciated, you know, like all the all the support that I've had from the hometown and people that have, um, you know, that have been there the whole way. It's, it's good to achieve what I've achieved and take it back home to where I come from. You rode in that Wingham Cup. You ran fourth and they tell me the competition was pretty fierce in the run. <laughs> It was actually really funny because um, you know, thanks, I really thank Kieran McAvoy. He took the time out to come up to ride in the race. And I had James McDonald coming, but James got suspended just before and couldn't come. So um, there's a few of the Sydney boys up there, but um, Robbie Thompson walked in the room after the race because it got very competitive out there. And <laughs> the jockeys were really riding hard, well, obviously trying to win the race. And um, Robbie Thompson come back to the jockey's room and he said, well, I didn't know that there was a group one race on at Taree. <laughs> <laughs> So it was quite funny. We got very, very competitive, but it was um, all in good spirits. It was great. The dry uh, Thompson humour. It never varies. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I love him. He's, he's an absolute marvel, Robbie. He's been great, you know, like throughout my career, helping out and stuff. And he, he's an absolute credit to the racing game. Cool. You've always been a family man, and you're absolutely adored by wife Kylie <laughs> and your three girls, Maddie, who's 21, I can't believe it, Charlie, 19, Holly is 16. Do the girls follow your career race by race, horse by horse? Um, they have, all at different stages, John. It's quite funny, like, they, they sort of come and go, like, um, the, well, Maddie, she obviously followed it a lot when I was, well, well younger. Uh, she sort of drifted away. She doesn't pay too much attention to it now. But uh, Charlie, she's she got quite involved here a couple of years ago. She's got a boyfriend that likes watching, so mm. she's uh, followed it along. But Holly, she always knows where she knows where I am and how many winners I've ridden and stuff. So she's obviously she stuck with it the longest, Holly. But the older two, they, I think they've grown out of it a little bit, John. But they've always been good supporters, and I know, I know they love going to the races and enjoying themselves. Now, you're going to take a little break shortly uh, with some time in Spain and France on your way to Royal Ascot, where you've been invited to represent Australia in the Shergar Cup. Now, just explain to us what that's all about, Corey. It's a jockey's challenge. Yes, it's a jockey challenge. It's probably the most well-known jockey challenge uh, around the world. Um, there's four teams. Uh, there's an English team, there's an Irish team, there's a European team, and the rest of the world team. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, about or there's three jockeys in each team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been trying to get to this jockeys challenge for a number of years now, and I haven't been able to get a Guernsey. But I think after winning last year's Melbourne Cup, secured my my position. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to get a spot on the rest of the world team, which I'll be 
Um, my other teammates would be Yutaki Taki from J- uh, Japan and uh, Joe Marrera, who's obviously the Brazilian whiz kid. Um, so hopefully we can do our countries proud and um, and bring home bring home the trophy. But yeah, I, I feel very honoured to to get a guernsey in the in the actual challenge because again, it's probably the most recognised uh, sort of time on sort of jockey challenge that I've heard about. Um, for yeah, for a many, number of years now. So I've been trying hard, and I've finally got to. I've got to start. You're riding so many horses for so many different stables at the moment. It must be hard to get your head around them all. But there is one that I know you're wrapped in, uh, the Greg Hickman Train Pirata. You've won four races on him so far, including a three-year-old Guineas at Magic Millions time. He yep. came back and trialled at Warwick Farm on Friday, Corey. He ran second in the trial, I believe, under a throttle halt. Yeah, she's a very exciting horse. Not only, um, I mean, you get on a lot of nice horses, but when you get on horses like this, you just know that they, they stand out. And he um, he stood out again there at the trials at Warwick Farm again. He, he tried up really well. I didn't ask him to do anything too drastic because he's going to have another trial. Uh, went to the line under a, uh, a very strong hold. But he's just an exciting horse by Piero. Um, you know, they've been going very, very well. And I, I think he'll end up at stud. He's obviously a cult. Um, I know there's been a bit of money offered for him already. But I think he, if he wins that big group one, I'm not sure which one they're aiming up at yet. But um, I know he's got it in him. He's definitely a very, very good horse. He's got uh, a, got a few owners too, hasn't he? <laughs> He has, and uh, they seem to, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger every time we enter the enclosure after every race. So, uh, but no, it's good. I, lo- I like seeing things like that. You know, like um, you know, a bunch of sort of younger owners with um, you know, wanting to be at the races and getting involved, and it's just good to see. I, I really, I'm really, really happy for them. Jockeys like Jeff Lloyd, who's a marvel, and Robert Thompson, who's a marvel, have proven that owners and trainers will still put them on if they're fit healthy and focused. Now, Corey, I don't yep. know why, but you strike me as the kind of bloke who may well be riding into your 50s. Yeah, like years ago, John, as you would know, like an, an old jockey was, you know, around 40. Um, you know, like a lot of the better older jockeys were retiring around 40 or even sooner, but this day and age, you know, like it's just, it's a crazy, you know, I, I take my hat off to Jeff Lloyd and Robbie Thompson, those style of blokes. Jimmy Cassidy was another one. Um, I used to always think I'd retire around 40, 45, but John, the last half a dozen years, I've, I've loved it more than ever. I, I just, the more, the more I do it, the more involved I get and the more I love it. So yeah, I, I can't see myself retiring anytime soon. I'm not sure I'm going to take, take, um, you know, like, Robbie Thompson and that off there, you know, like <laughs> pedestal from where they come from. But no. I, I'll, I'll definitely be chipping along for a long time yet, I think, mate. You've come a long way since that very lacklustre debut at Kempsey in 1991. <laughs> uh, in just a few weeks, Corey Brown from Australia will be competing against the world's best at Royal Ascot. It's been a fantastic journey, Corey, so far. And given the passion that you've just told us about, I can't see it ending in the in the near future. No, I don't think so, John. It's been great, and I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Corey, uh, I want to compliment you too on 
the way you've handled media over a long period of years. You've been very unselfish with your time and uh, I can't remember a single occasion when you haven't done your best to help me out over a long period of years. It's much appreciated. No, no, much appreciated this side too, John. Thank you very much.